You're listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast, a product of the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association. To learn more, visit our website at or.nhsbca.org. Welcome to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. I'm Derek Duman, OBCA Vice President and Boys Basketball Coach at West Albany High School. Today, I'm joined by Brian Morse, Boys Basketball Coach at Cascade Christian High School. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, Derek. Yeah, Coach, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Uh, Coach, I want to start out by letting you introduce yourself to uh, coaches around the state that might not be familiar with you. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about your story, how you got involved in coaching, and, and how you ended up at Cascade Christian? Um, well, this is my 33rd year at Cascade Christian. We are a 3A school down in Medford, Oregon. Um, I actually uh, played for Cascade Christian and graduated in 1984 from them. And um, I met my high school sweetheart there at Cascade, and we both went to college in uh, Seattle Pacific. Um, it was like June of 1988 when we were graduating. We were getting married. Uh, so we graduated from college, got married two weeks later, and I need to make the decision, am I going to uh, go up and work in Seattle for Microsoft, or am I going to work down here in Medford for either my father-in-law or my father? And I chose to obviously go to Medford, and um, and I got the coaching job at Cascade um, like two weeks after we got married, and I also got um, – a job working for my father-in-law at a print, big printing company he owned. So um, that's how I got the job at Cascade. And uh, I, I pretty much um, got the job, I think, because no one else wanted to do it. The school was down to probably, um, I think, 50 or 60 kids at the time. It was just a, a B-League school is what it was called back then classification-wise. And um, in my first year coaching, um, I thought as an ex-player that I knew it all, and um, I did not know anything. I thought I could go in there and just give them pep talks and, you know, hey, be competitive, be tough, go out there and win. And um, I had, like, I think eight kids on my first team. Uh, I only had one team then. And um, we did not win a game in the league. It was a very rough start. My very first game, uh, we were actually up playing in the Canyonville uh, Christian Academy tournament. And um, – so the, the the first game we go out and, and uh, after the game starts and I think we're down uh, eight to nothing and a cold timeout and, and uh, try and readjust the guys and then it's uh, fifteen to nothing and I call another timeout and it's like twenty two to nothing and I call another timeout and then it's thirty to nothing and I call another timeout and it's thirty seven to nothing at the end of the first quarter. And uh, welcome to high school basketball. So uh, that year was a rough year and uh, a big eye-opener for me. And, and uh, I learned a lot about coaching because I started talking to other coaches and reading a lot of books and, and getting, you know, VHS tapes and uh, learning as much as I could about basketball. And then um, we, um, you know, the next year we actually improved a ton and, and we made the, uh, the state playoffs. And then we, we continued a streak of like 30 years of, of uh, making the state playoffs. And, um, and I'm still here. So we've gone from a B league school and then we moved up to a 1A 
then we went up to a 2A, and now we're 3A. So it's been a fun ride, and I've I've loved every minute of it, and and uh, love being at Cascade. So. Yeah, you, you mentioned being, I think you said your 33rd year now at Cascade. Mm-hmm. Uh, something we don't see very often anymore in our profession, unfortunately, is, is coaches lasting multiple decades. Uh, as you know, there's a lot of stressors, sure. um, things that, that run coaches out. What, what do you think has led to your longevity in profession uh, in particular? Uh, well, the first thing is, is, is my wife. Um, you know, her being a, um, an ex-athlete and she was actually a, a coach at Cascade when, when I got the coaching job in June of 88, she got hired as the ba- girls basketball coach and volleyball. So she did that for like the first four years of our marriage. And so she understands what it's like to be a coach's wife and, and what it, what it takes to do that. And so she, she loves and lets me do it. And, and also we had, um, seven children. So, um, she stopped coaching, I think after our second or maybe she had her third child. And so I was able to coach my four boys, um, you know, on our basketball team. And so that was, that was a cool thing because I got to see them go through the system and, you know, um, started, you know, the Y ball and AAU and all that. So, uh, you know, that's kind of helped me because I've been able to coach all of them. And then also, you know, I, I really do love working with kids. I know, you know, that's why we coach is we love, we love working with the kids, seeing their improvement, seeing their development, not just in basketball, but in life and help mentoring those guys. And, and then of course, we're all, you know, competitors as coaches. We, we love to compete. And, and so that really helps, uh, to keep the coaching alive, you know, in, in, in us and, and keeps it going. You know, um, there's, like you said, on burnout, <clears throat> how do we stop burnout from happening? And, and, uh, I think one thing that I, I started off early is that I was a control freak. Like the, my first 10 years of coaching, maybe 12 years, um, I did everything. I mean, I did, I mean, I had assistance, but they re- really, I didn't let them do much, and I just controlled every aspect of every situation, and that will burn you out if you do that. And then I learned, hey, I'm going to put some really smart people around me. I'm going to hire some good coaches. I'm going to, you know, I started getting some of my former players as coaches and uh, started developing that. So now I have a network of, of great assistants, great coaches throughout my whole program that makes my job easier. And so I can almost act like the general manager of making sure that the AAU program is going good and that, you know, the freshman team is going good and, and all, all the different elements so that I can focus on the varsity team too. So, you know, there's just so many elements to keep things going for longevity um, and, you know, to, to prevent burnout because those are two big problems, like you said earlier, that we have today in coaching. Yeah, what's kept you – I mean, you did mention you went to, to Cascade Christian, obviously, but I would assume that with the success that you've had there, maybe potentially there were opportunities to maybe take another job or, you know, move up to a higher classification. Yeah. What's kept you at Cascade Christian for over three decades? Uh, well, number one, I love the school. Um, I went there from third grade all the way through. So I really believe in the school. Um, my goal was I always wanted to have my kids play for Cascade Christian and win a state championship there and have a great experience and all those different, you know, aspects of it. And, um, 
you know, and, and that that was that's one reason I wanted to stay, but also I just love the community I have at Cascade. I, I have had uh, not in the last you know twelve to fifteen years because I've shut so many people down, but I have had offers to uh, to have you know to go to other programs or to no to interview for other programs. I never would even you know I'd say hey thank you for considering this, but but I don't want to interview. I'm so happy where I'm at, and and so I so people just stop asking, which is great. Uh, but I just I love you know, the school that I'm at and I'm alumni there and I love what we built there. And I, I love working with the the parents and the kids and the administration. Now, early on, I didn't like working with the parents so much because I didn't know how to handle them as much. Now I do. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of changed things. And, and we have a, a good relationship and everyone kind of understands what the ground rules are. But um, anyway, I just, I love being at Cascade and I love representing, you know, our school. Yeah, you want to, or do you mind, I should say, sharing, you know, what are some things that you've learned uh, from working with parents? What are some things maybe that that didn't work early on, and and what do you think has led to you kind of finding that right fit? Well, um, after my first year of coaching, obviously we did not win very much, and so I had a lot of parents that were very skeptical of a really young 22-year-old coach that is not winning and 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 questioning you know maybe the things I'm doing and so forth so I had a lot of issues my first couple years and so what I started doing is I I started reaching out to the coaches hey what do you do you know what do you do when this happens what do you do in this situation and then coaches would tell me what they would do and one of the coaches said hey do you have a uh, basketball handbook that you have the parents sign I'm like no so they would send it to me so I would look at it I'd make some changes to it, and uh, and so that has been my key. Is my my uh, parents' athletic handbook that I have for basketball is I start that at our uh, you know our our lower levels, the fourth, fifth, the junior challengers. So they all have the same thing that they have to read and agree to abide by those rules. <coughs> and uh, you know, like as an example, um, I had a situation that a lot of coaches have had in the past where a parent has come up immediately or right before a game or immediately after a game to address the coach one-on-one because they're heated and they want to, you know, voice their opinion. Well, so now I'm like, okay, well, you have to add that to the handbook. You know, it is inappropriate for a parent to interact with the head coach immediately after a game. You must set up a time for a meeting the next business day call and I'll set up a meeting to talk with you, the parent, your, your, uh, uh, the player and the coach. So, um, that has eliminated a lot of, of the confrontations when I make, I don't have sidebar meetings with parents. I make sure that the, the son is always there because I tell my kids in practice, Hey, you know, if you have a problem on this team, number one, go to that person, try and solve the problem first of the teammate. If that doesn't work out, then you get the coach involved, and I will, you know, interact with that, that those two players and the coach. And the same thing happens with the parents. If there is a problem, then the parent, I, I will meet with the parents, and I will meet with the player. And that usually solves the problems because a lot of parents sometimes um, are not either hearing the story correctly or they have a different 
um, reason for why they're upset. Maybe their kid's not playing as much. Maybe they're embarrassed because they're in the stands and, and their, their peers, their son's playing a lot more or doing way better. You know, so there's a lot of things that you can do as a coach to try and alleviate those issues with the parents. But um, I start at an early age so that when the, those parents and kids, when they go on through our, our program, they know what's acceptable behavior. So it makes it, that took a ton of stress off of me, not having to deal with all those confrontations early on. Um, I had to deal with those early on, and so I learned my lesson, and I started, you know, making changes with our program so that um, it made it much easier for us to coach the kids. Good stuff, Coach. Uh, coach, you've obviously won a lot of games in 30-plus years. You know, obviously after that first season, that first game, uh, you got sure. some things turned around <laughs> and uh, started having some success. Uh, what what do you attribute to the success that you've had at, at Cascade Christian? Um, well, number one, um, you know, I guess consistency, you know, making sure that I'm consistent on what I'm doing. Uh, but also, you know, it, it, there's that question – there's a lot of answers that uh, could be given on that. Um, you know, another one obviously is having, you know, good players. Um, but you can't really have good players unless you kind of develop them. Because, um, you know, we don't – we're not like a typical private school that we get all these transfers coming in. So, um, you know, we have to develop our kids. You know, last year on our team, um, I think we had maybe one kid who had transferred in that was in the top eight. Uh, but most all of our kids, you know, I I would uh, go down and watch their AU games in, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade and stuff. So they kind of know our system. Um, but <clears throat> in the 90s, you know, my first decade, um, I we were like, you know, we'd win a league championship, then we'd finish second or third, and we weren't going to the state tournament, you know, the final eight. That was obviously our goal. And I would look and I would see – uh, I started going down to the 6th, 7th, 8th grade levels and watching some of their middle school games and because we didn't have an AU program back then. And I'd go, man, these kids are really good. Oh, that kid's really good. Oh, that kid's really good. You know, this is all on our Grace Christian, uh, you know, team. Mm-hmm. And, and then I'd go to the coach and I'd go, hey, so this kid's really good. You know, and he goes, oh, no, he's going to go to Ashland. What? And then they'd say, oh, no, he's going to Crater. Oh, and he's going to go to South. He's going to be probably their best player South. And then, oh, this kid's going to North. I'm going, I'm not getting these kids. What's going on? And so they'd go to eighth grade to Grace Christian through eighth grade, and then they wouldn't come to Cascade their freshman year. And so I'm like going, man, I'm seeing all these kids in the newspaper that are scoring for all these big 6A schools, and they really could be helping me. So in the late 90s, um, we started our AAU program, and it was really tough because, you know, I'm trying to, like, tell kids, I had, to, I had to, to recruit them, our own kids, to say, hey, we're starting a Cascade team here for, you know, sixth grade is when we started for AU. And so I had to get those kids. I couldn't get the kids that were already playing for South or for North or Grants Pass or wherever they were from in seventh and eighth because they already had developed these relationships with their teammates. So once that started, that that's what really started getting us some success. Uh, because now I'm actually getting to keep those players. And the second thing is, is that I switched my philosophy from, I was really offensively minded in the nineties and we would play a ton of zone. Okay. We hardly played man to man because you have to work to, you know, to, to teach good man to man defense. And so 
um, I started going, man, all of the, the teams that are winning these state championships, they are like the best man to hand teams, you know, defensive teams. And, um, you know, at least at our levels, at the 2A, 3A level. So then I started, you know, getting the, the Coach K, the Duke defensive principles, the Bobby Knight videos, all the different, you know, videos that would make me a good defensive coach. Start going to coaching clinics. How do we do this? Well, we're going to have to teach pressure man-to-man defense. <laughs> so we started doing that in the late 90s and early 2000s, started our man-to-man philosophy. And so by by the time uh, the early 2000s, like 2004, 2005, we started cranking out some really good defensive teams with really good athletes that had been in our AU program. And, and that's how we won our first state championship in 2007. We were just loaded with talent, um, you know, that was that we'd had, you know, on that 2017. I had uh, three of those starters when they were seniors were starting as freshmen. Um, mm-hmm. So they had, you know, been in our program and they were really good athletes and we were the best defensive team. We just kind of manhandled teams. And then the same thing, you know, carried on in 2000, 2008. Um, we, we actually, after we won it in 2007, we had to move up from 2A to 3A and, um, we did not miss a beat. In fact, that team could have been one of my best teams, even though we finished third that year. We lost in, in uh, the semis in overtime, and uh, we were 28 and three that year. And um, you know, it's just you know that that also goes to show that as you know, as coaching, that you have to be the best team by a big margin, and you have to have a little bit of luck to win a state championship. You know, you have one bad quarter, you have you know, um, a top player that gets injured, you know, at the state tournament or something like that. Um, you know, there's so many different elements to win the state championship. It is so difficult to do it. And, um, but, you know, consistency is a key, I believe, in the success that we have had. And also, as coaches, you know, we need to never, ever be satisfied with our coaching ability. You know, every year – I take my whole coaching staff up to the coaching clinic in Portland. Uh, that's just one of the things we do. Uh, we also, you know, we, we study tons of videos and different offenses and how can we tweak our program? How can we make it better? You know, and, and if us coaches stop improving, we should not be coaching because right. there's always something we can learn as coaches. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that, that I like to ask coaches, because you talk about that consistency, building that sustained success. I think it was John Wooden that said, you know, winning takes talent, you know, to repeat takes character, um, yeah. which I, I always find uh, just was an awesome quote and, and makes a lot of sense. How do you manage those expectations with kids year in and year out, right? Like I feel like they come to Cascade Christian, they know they're expected to win, but sometimes that's tough. You know, sometimes, like you're saying, that's, that's hard to do. Winning is hard to do. So how do you kind of manage those expectations with your kids? Um, well, it, it is, it's, a, it's a tough nut to crack. Um, you know, it does make it easier when you've won, you know, pretty consistently. And, you know, a lot of our, our younger kids, junior challengers, they've been, they sit in the stands and they watch us win. So they're like, someday I want to be like this. I want to get to the state tournament. I want to win a state championship. I want to get my name up on the wall, you know. And so that that helps right there. But when they come into the program, you know, we expect them to act like champions and to work 
you know, really hard at everything that they do. Now, um, that's easier said than done, obviously. And that, that really is how, you know, if you structure your, your program and your practices so that, you know, it makes it so competitive. You know, I want to make my practices so tough that when they get in a big game, it's not as tough as what that practice was. So they're like, hey, this is nothing. You know, the pressure that we're going through right now in this semifinal overtime game, we do this in practice. You know, so I think as coaches, if we can simulate those type of situations, it makes it that much easier for our kids to uh, to do well. You know, I I also, I remember when I was, you know, early coaching, I used to give them like five things in the huddle at a timeout. You know, you got to do this. You got to box up. Then you got to play demons. Then you have to do this. And I'm like, okay, that was just overload, you know. So now when we call timeouts, it is for a specific purpose. You know, it is for a specific reason, whatever that's going to be, an offensive or a defensive thing. And then the last, you know, 15 seconds, we have, you know, one of my coaches gives the offensive play for the next set down. Um, you know, so there's there's a lot of things that we you can do. And it just, um, you know, like I said, we is trying to be consistent on how we do it and try and make things as competitive as possible in practice situations. You talked a lot about <clears throat> assistant coaches and developing those and, and how that's led to success in your program. I'm curious, what are some things that you do with your assistant coaches to help them feel involved um, that you think maybe more head coaches could do to help benefit their programs? Well, I, like I said, I was a control freak to start with. So I want to do everything. Now I let well, first of all, I've got really good coaches. So I have a lot of my former players are in my program. They know my system. They know my office, our defense, our philosophy. And so they, you know, they um, uh, they know what I want to do. So I will come to practice with a practice plan, and I will let, um, like I've got two really good varsity assistants that one will do offensive drills, one will do defensive drills. Another coach may do inbound inbound plays. You know, where they're, they're a specialty person at that. So I will let them run different drills in the practice. Therefore, in the games, I will also let them talk in the timeouts like, hey, they're going to run this play or this defense. So I, I don't – it's not really coaching by committee, but I do let a lot of my assistants – I give them a lot of free reign to, to do and say certain things, you know. Um, now, I always have the veto power to say, nope, this is what we're doing. But um, I let them do a lot of the practice and, and have interaction. So, because in, in our varsity practice, I actually have like six coaches there. Now, I don't let all six of them do it. I'll let like two or three of them run drills, and then the other ones are all assisting in the drills. And, um, and then like, you know, in games, like I said, <clears throat> there's certain times that I will just, um, you know, override. So, like, in the state championship game last year, um, the OES went up by one with less than a minute to go. And uh, so we call timeout. We're going to run a play, hopefully win the game. And uh, my assistant's like, I got the play, coach. I'm like, nope, I got this one. I know exactly which play we're going to run. <laughs> and and uh, so and it worked. I mean, we scored. We went up one, uh, but we did not get the defensive stop on the other end. So uh, we ended up losing. But um, still, you know, being in those situations with those kids, it's just uh, it's so fun and, and, and great experiences for those kids. Yeah, I think it's great too. You know, giving up some of that control and practice, I think when those coaches do start talking in the huddle, kids are going to listen. 
right? I think sometimes. Absolutely. Uh, I know I did that as a young coach too, as a control freak, freak right? You're, you're, you're just doing mm-hmm. all the talking and they never listen to the other coaches and they have so much good stuff to say. So. Well, and, and that is, that is what I learned by me doing all the talking, okay? I would tell mm-hmm. a kid till I'm blue in the face a certain thing I want him to do. And, and the guy just stares at me. And then all of a sudden, one of my younger coaches that's 25 or 26 says the exact same thing, and the kid gets it, you know. And, right. and I'm like, I, I don't go, hey, I've been telling you that for four years. I just go, yeah, that's great. I'm glad you understand that. I don't care how <laughs> they get get it figured out. As long as they, as long as they produce at the end, you know, I don't care what coach tells them, to, to, you know, that, that spurs them to do that. Right. And just out of curiosity, you talked about building that youth program. I think one of the hard things that we have as, as head coaches at the high school is, is finding good youth coaches. Uh, and I guess, Absolutely. you know, you talked about building that network. But do, do you put your youth coaches through some sort of training process or screening process? Are you the one that hires all those coaches? Yeah. What does yeah. that look like in your youth program? Well, it, it's it's um, it's obviously easier with me from the standpoint that I use my former players. So most of my uh, former players that are coaching the AU um, do not have a kid that that, that is on that team. Um, you know, it it is problematic to have uh, an AU dad coaching the team. And usually that kid's the best player on the team, and it causes some issues, as you know. And, now sometimes you can't get around it. Um, but I try and have, um, like I say, one of my assistants or one of my former players be that AEU coach. Um, and uh, it, and that makes a big difference in, in, in creating, you know, those coaches. But, yeah, I have involvement with them. Uh, we do a little coaches clinic um, at the beginning before AU season starts, I, I kind of go through, here's our basketball program, here's our offenses, you know, you're going to run these eight things and do them really well. You know, and maybe if it's on the third and fourth grade, they're going to run four things really, really well. And then, you know, the fifth and sixth, I have a different level, you know. So by the time they get into high school, if the kid started in third grade all the way through, he's going to have all the, the things that we run at the high school, the bases, the base offense, the base defense, the philosophies. All those things, you know, are, are special plays that we run. And then when we get into the high school, obviously the freshman level will increase and play a little bit. They'll do those plus a little more. JV will add some stuff in the varsity. We add extra things too. So that that really helps. So with, then when the kids actually get there their freshman year, they know when we say what our base offense is, they know how to run it. Now, they may not do it perfectly, but they know the, you know, the whole uh, – um, you know, principles of how to do it and, and the motion of how to do it. So that really gives us a, kind of a leg up, I think. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll turn with more with from Coach Morse right after this on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. The start of school means it's time to sign up or renew your Oregon Basketball Coaches Association membership. OBCA membership includes access to exclusive resources that help personalize instruction, understand players' mindsets, and maximize the impact of your practices. Members also receive access to the OBCA mentoring program 
and have a voice in improving the game at the state level. Membership starts at just $15 a year. Register online today at or.nhsbca.org. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Derek Duman here with Coach Brian Morse. Uh, Coach, you talked about a little bit earlier having the opportunity to coach your sons uh, on on your high school team. What was that experience like? Um, It was awesome. You know, I had kind of dreamed about that of coaching my boys, you know, on my basketball team when they were when they were little babies. But you know, that that's kind of a hard thing because you're first of all, are your kids going to be athletic? You know, are they going to like basketball? You know, they may not like basketball. You know, and you can't force a kid to do something that they don't want to do. So, um, what when when my oldest son, who actually coaches with me now, he's one of my top assistants. When he was going through, like we started the AU program, and he was going through AU, he was, you know, he, him, and um, EJ Singler were like the two best kids in the valley, um, and so I knew he was going to be really good, and he's really tall too, he's six seven. So um, I started looking at other coaches that were coaching their kids that had, you know, a really good kid on their team too, and I'm like, hey, what do you do? You know, I, I would start asking those veteran coaches, how do you, how do you coach a kid? What do you do? You know, anything special and stuff. So then I, I got a lot of ideas and, from them. And, um, and my oldest son is a real competitive guy. He does not like to lose. And, and so we, would, we could be real competitive with each other. And um, I never had to kick him out of practice because um, I had a really good – one of my former players was another top assistant. And he related really well with my oldest son, Scott. So I would – coach through him so I would kind of tell him what I want my son to do now my son would do what I would say you know coaching like but if there was really important stuff I'd have him do it so he was the guy that kind of coached him a lot and he would respond really well to it and uh, I'm like man if I told him that same thing he would probably come going blue <laughs> so there's certain things that you can do as a coach and, and every kid is different so what I just said about my oldest son did not apply for my second or third son. You know, I could tell them and I could yell at them, you know, get aggressive with them. They would respond really well and they would go out and do it. Um, so I guess every kid is different. So you have to kind of manage that depending because, you, you know, every, every dad knows what their kids' limits and, and personalities are. So however you can get them to perform at the best, you know, you do that. Whether you have one of your assistants be that person telling them or, or prodding them, um, or maybe you have that relationship where you can do that with your son personally. You know, so, um, you know, I would definitely advise coaches that are coaching their own son to talk to the coaches and see how they did it and get some ideas because there's no one right way of doing it. And, and every kid is different. So that, that would be my advice on that. Yeah. You know, obviously, you know, talking about your oldest son being one of the better athletes, which I think makes it easier. You know, my follow-up question to that is, like, how do you kind of tiptoe around the perception of, oh, he's only playing because he's coach's kid? Sure. Have you yeah, had to yeah. deal with that? And how did you deal with that issue? Um, I was kind of worried about it when my oldest son, um, he started his sophomore year 
and uh, that was our first state championship team. And so um, I had I was loaded with seniors too. I think I had eight or nine seniors on that team that were really good, but he was really good too. And uh, so I think our first game, I think he had like um, fourteen points and twelve boards. You know, so all of a sudden, and most of his fourteen points were like you know offensive rebound putbacks type stuff. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, so everybody on the team figured out real fast. You know, I know I'm a senior, but this kid's helping us win, and he's really good. You know, so that that part helps. But um, it, you know, I've seen it where you know coaches are coaching their their son, and maybe he's not the best player. And uh, I could see that that would be uh, potential for uh, you know parents being upset or whatever. But you know, the, the they just have to trust the coach that he's going to do the right thing. You know, um, mm-hmm. but you know, I I wasn't really in that situation, so I. It, it's kind of hard to respond to it, but it would be uh, it would be a tough situation, I guess, if if your you know your son wasn't you know didn't deserve to be a starter and, and they were actually starting him. That would that would not be a good situation. Right. Were you harder on your son than your other players? I tried not to, and that was what a lot of the coaches you know would tell me. You know, hey, just don't don't favor him. Don't be too hard on him. I thought I was pretty consistent, and I, I think I was consistent because I had one of my assistants, like I said, with my oldest mm-hmm. son. He would get on him and write him a lot more. So, um, you know, therefore, I don't think I was extra hard on him. Um, I, I think it was I was pretty consistent, and it, it actually worked out pretty well for me. Yeah. Uh, moving on a little bit, I, I want to ask you about, you know, in high school basketball, there's ebbs and flows in the talent of kids that we get to coach. Uh, obviously, yeah. building a strong yeah. youth program kind of helps uh, make those those valleys not quite as, as deep. Uh, but I'm curious, sure. you know, how do you coach a team differently, say, from a team that, you know, is returning, let's say, eight seniors that, that has a chance to win a state title versus maybe a team that, you know, you're just hoping to contend for a playoff spot? You know, how do you kind of approach those seasons and those teams differently? Um, it was it was uh, it was actually two years ago, uh, actually three years ago. I had a senior heavy team with I think nine seniors, and uh, they finished I think fourth in the state that year, and um, really good team. The problem is is that I didn't have seniors coming back. I had a couple of seniors that were um, you know not potential starters for varsity at all, and uh, so that was the year that we really struggled, and so. Um, I had all sophomores pretty much on the team and uh, a couple juniors. And basically, they should have been on JV. But just by lack of, you know, numbers of seniors and juniors from the previous year, um, it really put a damper on our team. So that was tough because we had, um, you know, every year you want to schedule the toughest teams that you can. So if you're consistently at the state tournament, the top teams are always wanting to play you, and, and, and you play tough tournaments and, and, and so forth. So we still had that schedule, that tough schedule, and it was really tough to keep those kids' heads up because there'd be games where we would lose by, you know, 15, 20 points consistently and never really be in too much in the ball game. And uh, But they saw – they just kept working hard and getting better. So you do have to adjust, obviously, if your talent goes down or, let's say, you have a taller team or a shorter team. And uh, your your um, your your basic 
principles stay the same offensively and defensively, but you may have to make some changes depending on the talent level you have. You know, maybe as a team that, hey, we got to slow the ball way down because we don't have good ball handlers and we cannot control the team or can't control the pace. Um, or, you know, maybe we have, we have some speedsters. We don't have tall guys, but, you know, hey, let's push the ball. Let's try and create some, some big opportunities for, for scoring. So um, there is there is things that you have to do different, but, you know, pretty much in the last, like, 15 years, I haven't had to adjust too much except for two years ago. Yeah. Coach, as you know, you know, analytics have changed the game a lot, especially since you started coaching over three decades ago. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, how how have you seen the game change, and, and maybe how have you changed kind of your – your coaching style and philosophy and, and how you approach the game with, with how the game's changed? Um, well, you know, as you know, everybody wants to shoot the three. So, um, you know, they, they, Steph Curry, they see Steph Curry and Steph Curry changed everything, you know, from the aspect that, Hey, let's, let's all just, you know, shoot the three ball. And now I'm, I'm definitely not that way. I, I like good three point shooters, but, you know, I do things now, like over the last four years, we do a drill that's called the three-man shooting. It's a three-minute drill, and they have to shoot for three minutes on certain spots, and we track their – we do it every day, and they have to, we track all of their points. And the shooters, you know, if they get 100 points, that's huge. And those are our good shooters. So anybody that is, like, in the 50s or 60s, you know, we chart them all. We say, okay, you're not shooting three. If you can't make these shots and practice, you're not going to make them in a game. So mm-hmm. we definitely look at the stats, and we definitely use that on who can shoot threes, who cannot, what their range are, what they need to work on. Um, I know that um, you know, certain people use, like, the NOAA system. I do not personally mm-hmm. have it, but I've heard that there's some good, um, you know, analytics and stuff on, on their arch and all that stuff. So we do use um, – we got two new doctor dishes, the you know the new ones that chart everything for the players, which is really kind of cool because they can do all their personal workouts, and all those uh, workouts actually come to me, so I can see what they're actually shooting, which is kind of cool. But um, right. <laughs> the analytics, you know, it, it definitely is an important part of it, you know, and I know that you know most people use um, some sort of like huddle or huddle assist and track all the stats and all that type of stuff, which is very important. Because as a coach, you know, there's some coaches that never look at stats. They don't look mm-hmm. at or – or do they watch game film? And and they keep doing the same thing, and then all of a sudden you start looking and going, hey, your best shooter is shooting 12% from the three-point line. Well, you know what? That guy probably shouldn't be shooting, you know. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's definitely important. Um, we don't live and die by the stats, but mm-hmm. it definitely helps point us in the right direction of, who should be playing, who should be playing what position, who should be shooting, who should be not, who needs to work on certain stuff. Yeah, are there specific stats that either you look at after each game or maybe that you have your coaches take during the game that you feel like gives you the 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 big the best picture of who's doing what you want them to do and, and playing the way you guys want to play? Um, the big thing is rebounding for us. Rebounding is key. I, I went back and looked at uh, my coaching career. We've only lost one game when we got 35 rebounds. We lost one game where we got 35. Every game we've gotten 35 rebounds, we've won every game except for that one. 
Um, so that is our, our goal every, every game is to get 35 boards, offense and defense combined. Now that's, that's tough, but you gotta work super hard on the boards, of course. So we spend a lot of time doing that. And, you know, we'll do that in a game too. We're charting all of our rebounds and we're like, coach, we only have, you know, three offensive rebounds in the first quarter or whatever it is. So we know we need to hit it harder on going hard to the glass and stuff, or maybe they're dominating us down low. So that's one of the keys. Obviously, turnovers is another key. Um, you know, we do not like turnovers. You know, no coach does. But, you know, our goal is under 10 turnovers, you know, per game. And, um, you know, so there's a lot of things that you can do. You know, we have a, a possession chart that one coach is responsible for, that he is writing down everything that happens during that possession with turnovers, with shots, all that stuff. And so we're looking at those. You know, so I'll, I'll hear one of my coaches, he'll go, Coach Morris, it goes three straight possessions with a turnover or, you know, two straight possessions and we haven't scored or got a rebound, you know. So um, <clears throat> there's certain things that you can do that you can track, and sometimes it really gets irritating too when you start hearing those things. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't bury your head in the sand. You have to make a change and, and do right. it. So, Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure usually if you haven't scored in five or six possessions, you probably already know that, right? So that that reminder Absolutely. is always <laughs> is another Absolutely. Most exciting is. thing. Well, to hear. and in a lot of times, in a lot of times, you want you want your kids to try and work through those things, you know, right. and see if they can you know come through it. But sometimes you're like, no, no, it's a stopgap. I have to stop stop the bleeding, and we have to reset and do something different, get the momentum, you know, maybe do a quick hit and play to get get the momentum going. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's fun. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, coach, you've taken your teams to a lot of different state tournaments. Uh, you know, one of yep. the teams that, as you kind of mentioned earlier, kind of uh, expect to be there uh, every year. I'm kind of curious, maybe for coaches that 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 haven't gone often, or or maybe are are hoping to go in the future, have good teams. How do you prepare? for the state tournament. Your season's over. You're getting ready to go for you guys to, to Coos Bay North Bend. Sure. What does that preparation look like to get your kids ready for that experience? Well, um, first of all, before we were going to the state tournament, and if I had a really talented group of kids that were young, I'd take them to the state tournament to watch. Mm-hmm. And I would take them in my van. I'd take them there. We would stay there for the three days. We'd watch games. Just get that hunger, that excitement, you know. And and if you're an athlete and you're a competitor, you see those games going on, and you see in a you know in, in a, tur- a state basketball tournament, it's exciting, it's loud, and it's like guys, this is where we want to be. You know, we want to be playing here Saturday night at eight o'clock. So you know, get excited. Let's work hard. You know, in the off season, do all these things. You know, try and get that energy going. Um, another thing that I do is on the teams that have been there, I do all of my own scheduling. So I, you'll, you'll probably see on our schedule, we'll have like two to three tournaments, you know, at least three tournaments that are three game tournaments that simulate our three HD championship. So because I love going to tournaments like that, that gets them ready. So when we go to a preseason tournament, we do the same type of preparation as we do at the state tournament in Coos Bay. You know, we have – certain things that we do with our pregame, with our pregame shooting, you know, when we stay in the hotels, we all have certain things that we do. So we keep it really consistent. We're all all business. 
Now we, we will have some time. We'll, we'll have fun with them. You know, like, um, when we go to the Salem Academy tournament, that's all the best 3A teams are always up there right after Christmas. So we do that. And we always do like on Friday night, we will, um, we usually stay right next to the Pietro's there and we'll do the laser tag. We'll do pizza and we'll do laser tag with the, uh, our girls team goes up there too. So we'll do laser tag with the girls. We run it up from like 11 to 12. So those are kind of fun for team building and stuff like that. Um, but I, I try and simulate those state tournament experiences so that when they get to Coos Bay, they're not all freaked out. You know, right. they know how to handle each preparation and game and scouting and all that stuff. So, uh, that's, that's one of the things that we do. And, and that, I think that really helps our kids when they get there. You know, I've also done things where, um, on the final site, you know, our site is we play at North End one night and then Marshfield for, for two nights if you're going to win it all. <clears throat> and so I will, like, like this year we had scheduled, uh, we, we were going over to play at Marshfield in, in their Les Schwab tournament. And so we would have got three games playing on the Marshfield court, you know, even though they played their three games, you know, last year. Uh, they would, you know, it's just more experience playing on that court in that, you know, atmosphere so that when they get in that, you know, state tournament, they're not as uh, uptight and freaked out about it, you know. So. Yeah. What advice do you have for younger coaches that are either just entering the profession or, or maybe just got their first head coaching job? Um well, I would I would definitely advise them to talk to um, other coaches that have more experience um, to try and get insight. You know, us older coaches, I will talk to younger coaches. I love helping younger coaches. Um, I think that, you know, our mentoring program at the Coach Association is a great thing. And, you know, younger coaches just need to know that, hey, you can ask questions, you know, um, you can't be intimidated by somebody who has, you know, a lot of state championships or a lot of wins going, that, that guy would never, I can't talk to him. You know, I, I used to talk to Dennis Murphy all the time when I first started coaching. You know, he was at South and he started at South the same year I started at Cascade. And I would ask him, hey, Coach Murphy, how, how do I beat a 131? You know, uh, yeah. this team played a 131 and just destroyed it. They had no idea how to beat it. You know, they go, oh, try this and do that. And, you know, so. Um, definitely don't be afraid to ask. You know, I, I know that a lot of times when you're young, like I was, I thought I knew it all. And uh, at times I uh, figured, oh, I'll figure this out myself. No, no, no. Ask people that have the wisdom and experience. And, uh, and you know, and the other thing is, is that us coaches, you know, that have been around doing it for a while, we definitely need to reach out and help those younger coaches, you know, and make sure that they know that they can talk to us. I know that when um, we won our first state championship in 2007, I got multiple coaches uh, that called me that had won state championships before and the retired coaches. And they were like, hey, Coach Morris just wanted to call and congratulate you on winning the state championship. It's a huge accomplishment. And he said, but, you know, make sure and, you know, look to, to help other coaches along the way. And when other coaches win, make sure and call them and, you know, do the same thing. So I've tried to do that every year. I try and call the, the young coaches that, um, you know, maybe have won a state championship or got to the state tournament and, and talk to them and try and encourage them because, you know, that makes a big difference. If, if you hear it from an older coach, you know, that uh, that you may know that is trying to encourage you to keep going. So 
um, you know, that that's my big advice is, is, is have, uh, you know, talk to people who have done it before and, and try and get that advice. Yeah. I think that's good. That's great stuff, coach. And, and I think a lot of times for our younger coaches is as someone who's a little younger, uh, in the, in the coaching profession, there's so many resources online, right? And we think that, oh, sure. if I just Google, how do I beat a one, three, one, uh, that that's just going to give me the answer. And, and I don't need the help because I can figure that out on my own. Sure. But I sure. do think there's something really important and valuable. I think like you're talking about. But like talking to another human being that has gone through the experience that you've gone through, you know, that YouTube video you're watching, who knows who's providing that, right? Or, you know, maybe they're, you know, we've all gone to clinics where we're talking to or hearing a, a Division One coach tell us about this great zone they run when the smallest dude is 6'6 six, six and has a seven-foot wingspan. You know, like it's those things. Yeah, I wish I had that, him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. So God makes you look really good, yeah. Yeah, that I think is really important for, you know, younger coaches that are that are listening, I think. And most coaches I've talked to on the podcast have said the exact same thing. And um, and when I've done it, it's been super, super valuable. So, <laughs> Well, and also, you know, the other thing, you know, to, to allow you to get connected with those coaches is there's a couple things. You know, go to our, our big coaching, Nike coaching clinic in October. You know, that's a big mm-hmm. thing. Any coaching clinic you can go to as a young coach, that's great. You know, I always um, encourage the, the teams in our league and in our Valley, hey, go to the big coaching clinic up in, in uh, Portland, the Nike one. And also, um, I get together, I run the summer league down here in Southern Oregon. So we have a big pre-meeting about that. And when we get, I get all the coaches, and we do this meeting, we start, you know, add another 45 minutes to your meeting, talking about, you know, coaches roundtable stuff. What type of issues are you coaches having? You know, and everyone kind of, the first time I did that, they all looked at me like, are you kidding me? Do you want me to, like, tell you my secrets or, you know, my problem? And it's like, no, 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 it's not because I'm trying to beat you. We want to help each other, you know. Everyone thinks they have this master plan or this master offense or play that's good. You know, they don't want anybody to know. It's like, no, we're all doing the same stuff. We're just, you know, we've got it from somebody else. It's just how you teach it and how your kids execute it. You know, so we need to help each other as coaches and not try and make it be a real competitive thing. Now, obviously, when I, I play another coach, I'm going to want to beat them. So I'm not going right. to say, hey, I'm going to run these three plays, you know, next at the, at the next time out. But, um, you know, we should help each other and and not be so protective and secretive of, oh, I don't want him to know what I'm, what I'm running, you know, what type of offense or defense and stuff. So anyway, right. I think that just comes with maturity. Yeah, true. Uh, before I had the break, Coach, last question uh, I had is, you know, this, this year is, is unlike any we've seen in uh, Oregon high school basketball. Uh, curious is how you've kind of been uh, handling, uh, working with your team uh, during this pandemic, and, and how are you prepping for this kind of hybrid regular season slash summer season that, that we're getting ready for? Sure. Good question. Um, you know, as everyone has been dealing with, a lot of these kids are dealing with depression because they're not, a lot of them are not in school. A lot of them can't play the sports they've wanted to. Obviously, things are opening it up now, which is good. But um, the thing that I was doing is I was doing uh, – I communicate everything by text to my players. And um, so I would do group text to the players on things they need to be working on themselves or when we were able to do – 
some individual workouts, you know, with them in the, in the pods and stuff. Um, so I did a ton of, of texting and um, communicating with the kids. You know, a lot of times I'd call them, hey, how you doing? You know, that's real important because I have never had more kids pick up the phone when I call them than this year. Most mm-hmm. of the time, as you know, if you mm-hmm. call a kid, they it, it, number one, they don't pick up the phone, and they don't have a voicemail. It, it, the voicemail box says it's not set up. And so they'll text you back and say, what's up, coach? You know, you, you've all seen that. So yeah. now it's been way different. They've been actually picking up their phone and going, hey, Coach Morris, how's it going? You know, I'm like, they want they want to talk to somebody. They want, you know, they need us coaches. They need the mentoring. You know, so um, I think that's real important for us coaches to not forget is how much of an impact we can have in these kids' lives. You know, a lot of the kids, they need that that um, role model in that, uh, you know, something in sports as coaches that we can do, we have a lot of control and, and power on these kids to help guide them. Um, a lot of times I'll tell the, I'll tell the parents, you know, say, Hey, you know, let me know if, uh, if your son's not being respectful to you, because I talk mm-hmm. to them in practice every day about being respectful to your mom and your dad and your parents. And, you know, before we leave every day, I'm like, Hey, when you go home, do something nice for your mom, you know, empty the dishwasher, do something, do something that she is, is, is not expecting you to do, you know. So I think if you build those relationships and, and help mentor those kids, you know, that we can do those things even in this pandemic time. Uh, but we have to pick up the phone and call them and, or, or text them and, and uh, you know, whatever you can do to try and communicate with them. But it definitely makes our job a lot more difficult. Yeah. Good stuff, Coach. All right, we're going to take another break. When we return, Coach Morse will try to beat this shot clock here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Stay up to date with the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association on social media at facebook.com slash OregonBCA or on Twitter at ORHoopCoaches. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. We're talking with Cascade Christian Boys Basketball Coach Brian Morse. Uh, Coach, for my next set of questions, I'm going to put you up against the shot clock. Uh, i got 35 seconds, and I've got some rapid-fire questions that should be one- to two-word answers. Uh, We're going to try to see how many questions we can get through in 35 seconds. And then if there's one question you want to dive into afterwards, uh, we can, we can do the long-winded answer sure. after, after the shot clock expires. Okay. okay. Alrighty. Uh, 35 seconds on the clock. We are starting now. Do you think Oregon High School basketball should have a shot clock? Absolutely. Should it be implemented at the sub-varsity levels? Yes. You're up three points with less than 10 seconds. Do you foul? Yes. What's your favorite way to guard on-ball screens? Hedge and recover. What's your favorite sports movie? Hoosiers. What's your favorite pregame meal? Spaghetti. What's one word officials would use to describe you? Respectful time nice work coach good possession there well done well done (laughs) 
Coach, obviously, shot clock segment, kind of a fun way to talk about some, you know, hot yeah, topic yeah. issues in our game. Uh, but, you know, I like to elaborate on, on the shot clock answer a little sure. bit. Um, you had mentioned you're in favor of the shot clock. It is kind of uh, yeah. on a lot of our minds in not yeah. only Oregon, but across the country. Sure. Uh, what, why are you in favor of it? Um, well, a lot of reasons. Um, it definitely it, it increases the pace of the game. It, it, it allows the best team to really win the game. Um, I've seen, as many have, um, a better team lose to a team that is stalling and um, trying to, um, I guess, level the playing field. And we've also seen it, you probably remember, a couple of state tournaments uh, for the girls, I think it was the 6A Springfield, where there was some yep. like, you know, 24, 26 games, and it was just, it was just kind of ugly basketball. And, um, you know, so I, we definitely love the fast-paced game. And, um, you know, the, the weird thing was is that probably 15 years ago, um, I started talking to Cindy Simmons at the OSA, who is now retired, and I'm like, I don't understand why we can't do this. And she says, well, Brian, do you, do you realize that 42 states do not have a shot clock? I'm like, what? And, and I think that's, a, that's an interesting stat because, you know, being that California and Washington are two of those eight teams that have a shot clock, they're on either side of us. We just kind of assumed the whole nation had shot clocks, and we were the anomaly, you know. Right. And, and so that, that was kind of interesting. But, you know, the big thing, obviously, is finances of getting, you know, the – the, um, um, the shot clocks, you know, retrofitted in all the gyms. And, and I know that a lot of the smaller schools, the 1A, 2A, 3A schools, especially the 1A, 2A, a lot of them in the small areas, you know, that's an issue with older maybe scoreboards and stuff like that. But um, I think that the Coach Association has done a great job of, of coming up with ways to, to neutralize that and to uh, take care of those problems and, you know, and look at all of the, um, you know, surveys we've done, I mean, it's, everyone is in favor of it. So why can't we do it? But uh, mm-hmm. I just would love it, you know. I mean, I, I we have never been accused of holding the ball more than, you know, 35 seconds. <laughs> so, right. Or 30 seconds, you know. Somebody will get a shot off before then. So, uh, But I just think it would, it would just be so much better to, you know, increase the pace of, of every game. And, and that's more fun for the for the parents and kids to play and watch. So, Yeah. What's the strangest thing you've seen in a basketball game? Oh, boy. I have seen a lot. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Um, okay. Well, here, here's an interesting one. So we're at uh, team camp, NBC team camp over in the Grand, Eastern Oregon State. And um, we're playing in the end of the tournament or end of the camp tournament deal. We're, we're in the semis. We're playing Western Mennonite. Actually, Western Christian now, you know, Gary Holstein. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. we're up by, I think, 12, 14 points with about a minute to go. They were, we got it. It's pretty safe. So I clear my bench and I put um, some of my younger guys in. And, uh, and Gary's doing a great job on his run and jump press and stuff. And, uh, and so all of a sudden they're getting steel layup, steel layup. And now it's down to like eight. I guess down to like six. And now there's only like 30 seconds left or 20 seconds left. And I don't, I don't want to put my starters back in. It's kind of the, one of those weird deals. So right. you know, I call timeout and I go, and this is like 15 years ago. So I still wasn't as smart as I am now. <clears throat> and I go, okay, let's run this particular inbounds play just to get the ball in bounds. 
because I know we always score on this inbound play because it always <laughs> it's a misdirection to get somebody open. So you know where this right. is going. Yep. So, so sure enough, my guy's wide open. We inbound the ball. He goes up to lay up the basketball. And the fun, the best part about it is the Western Mennonite guy who's guarding them goes up and just hammers my guy, okay, because he's, like, trying to block his shot. So now the referees call a foul. It's a two-shot foul. And now they're, they're going, wait a minute. He shot on the wrong basket. You know, and everyone's in just this misbelief and what happened right there. And, uh, and of course, they eventually did give us uh, one and one on the other mm-hmm. end. But it was just the strangest thing. And then I, I told my coach, I go, note to self, never, ever run an inbounds play under their basket ever again, you know. So <clears throat> that was something weird. Another weird one I had was our Christmas classic uh, basketball tournament we run down here. Uh, about 15 years ago, maybe 20, <coughs> one of our girls' teams, um, they had just lost the night before to Sandium Christian Girls. They had a really strong girls' team that year. And uh, they got blitzed pretty good. So the next day they're playing, and uh, they they win an over. I can't say the name of the team, but they won an overtime game, and uh, and that team won. Well, the team that lost comes to me, and goes, "Hey, um, Coach Morris, just to let you know, um, I think that they played their assistant coach in the game." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> so I go to that other team that won an overtime. And I said. Hey, um, so they claim you played their assistant, your assistant coach? He goes, Oh yeah, no, I, I did. I played her. I'm like, Do you know that's a violation? They go, Well, you know, it's just a non-league game preseason. So I figured, you know, we got blitzed so bad last night that I wanted to give them a chance. I said, Well, how did she do? Goes, oh, she did really good. She was 23 years old. She has 28 points and they win in overtime. And I'm like, okay, well, this this is a self-report. You need to self-report this to oh. OSAA. You know, it was a very awkward, interesting situation. Oh I'm just gosh. like, I have never seen that before. So, wow. but yeah, there's a lot of wild and wacky things that uh, obviously us coaches have seen over the years. So yeah. uh, I figured I'd give you a couple funny ones. Yeah, those are those are two fantastic, fantastic stories. That's great. Um. How do you go about selecting your team captains? Um, well, it, it's kind of two things. First of all, who do the players look up to? Who do they respect? You know, at the beginning of the year, uh, we will do a thing where we will – I have a questionnaire that I give the players. And each one of the players, you know, and here are some of the questions, you know. You know, if, if Coach Morse – if the coaches were not present, who would you want running the practice? You know, if the coaches weren't here, who do you think would take charge and run the practice? Who would you not want running the practice? Who do you think, you know, so there's a lot of different questions that we, we ask our players. And we pretty much know who those players are that are the leaders because you can tell, you know, you know, as a coach, you know, how they – display themselves on the court and in practice and out of school and who they look up to. So um, we really look at, at that, and, and I will usually have two captains, um, and I'll have one that's usually a senior and one that's a sophomore or junior, depending on, you know, um, where they are on the team, usually a senior and a, and a, and a junior. But um, anyway, we'll, we, we sit down with the captains, and there's a whole guideline of things that they have to do as a captain, 
and um, they have to honor, you know, this commitment, and we make them sign the Challenger Creed and all this, all these things that they will do as captains to represent our program in a good way. So that's pretty much how we do it. Yeah. What are some of the things that uh, – what are some of those job responsibilities or, or duties that, that, that you have them do? <laughs> um, well, like – as example, they are um, – one thing they're supposed to do is they are supposed to be liaisons at the school and not being darks on the kids, but keeping the other players kind of in line when the coaches are not there. You know, they're the ones like, hey, guys, guys, we're not doing that. You know, let's not do that. You know, they can't, they can't be the guys, the ringleaders the ring who are actually, you know, doing the knucklehead things that high school kids do. Um, but there's also things like, um, you know, they're responsible – like on, on trips, you know, they're responsible for certain things with each player of organizing certain things that we have, like special meetings, and so we do it all through them, and then they go get all the kids and bring them back. They also are things like they, they do, the um, like the coaches, gifts and cards, you know, they're supposed to do, organize all those with the players. Um, you know, so there's, there's a list of things that they have to do, and, you know, they all always, they start our practice off with our uh, – uh, dynamic stretching and stuff like that. So, you know, they all know who the captains are and who the leaders are. And um, it's usually – we make it a good thing, you know. Right. Yeah, that's good stuff. Do you have a favorite team bonding activity that you do every year or often? Um, yeah. There's a couple things. Like I said, um, one thing that they love doing is like on the uh, – we do a fun activity on every tournament we go to. Um, you know, like we've taken the movies or we do like the laser tag or we do top golf. Um, cause I want it to be a fun experience for them. Um, one thing I do tell the parents is that, and the kids is that, you know, parents, I know you look at playing time and people who start and all that type of stuff. But if you look at the time we are together from the, the first practice until the end of the season, only 18% of our time together is when we are playing games. You know, the other times we're in practice, we are doing workouts, we are doing team dinners, we are on the bus, we are in the hotel with the kids. You know, so all that other time is great time, you know, for the team building and being part of a team. And so we try and make it a fun experience for them also. Uh, like in the summer, we'll do a, uh, like a team camp where we actually go camping. And we go for three days where we're tent camping. And we have, you know, a great time with the kids, campfires and being down on the beach and all that type of stuff. And plus we, we play a couple games every day too. So that's always a fun thing that uh, we like doing with the kids and, and just make it a good experience for them. Yeah. What's your favorite drill? My favorite drill is a drill called the Superman drill. And, I am all about my guys being tough and aggressive and feisty. And that is one thing that you will see um, if you uh, ever watch us play is that um, our defense, I love guys who are aggressive and feisty and get after it. And, um, you know, consistently over like the last 20 years, we've, we've either been one, two, or three in defensive scoring in the state. And that's, that's, a big reason why we've been successful, of course. Um, but the Superman drill is a drill where there, I start with um, five guys and three guys are, it's two on one. 
two guys are under the basket, you know, out of bounds, and you have to score three times, not in a row, but just three times to go out. And and the two guys, you know, I mean, now obviously we don't want anybody to get hurt, but we let the other two guys pretty much manhandle the guy, you know, the offensive guy. And and what happens is this: our best defensive players, they go bang, bang, bang. You know, they they score quickly and they're aggressive and feisty. The what I call, let's say, pretty boy shooters that just want to shoot outside and don't want to mix it up, they're in there for a long time because they they can't go in and get a rebound. You know, they're just they just want to hey pass the ball out to me, and you got to go create it and do it yourself. So that's probably my favorite drill to do. But I love any type of drill that inspires toughness. You know, we do a charge drill where you have to you have to take a charge. You know, that the coaches are driving at them and and uh, rebounding drills where you just have to be feisty. There's one other drill that I love, um, and uh, we we created it called the baseball screening drill, and we run our offensive our base offense. So like let's say if we're running flex, we'll run flex. Both teams have to run flex, <clears throat> and you only score by screens that you set. So we'll have coaches under the basket that are counting every screen, a good legal screen, and they get a point. So you have one minute on the on the possession um, clock. So offense has it for there. And then once um, once there is a change of possession, or let's say they scored, um, we stop it and we count how many screens they had. So if they had uh, four good screens, they get four points on the scoreboard. Now, if they actually scored it, there's a multiplier in effect. So then you times it by two or three. And so it'll so the, the, the team figures out real fast, hey, we don't want to shoot the ball in the first five mm-hmm. seconds. We want to shoot it at the end and get all these multipliers. So we play seven innings, and so you, you go back and forth, bottom of the first, you know, top of the second, and then you keep adding up the score. And it just it gets the kids to be super aggressive on setting screens because mm-hmm. they're like that's the only way we're going to score is if we set screens because you know how it is kids they're right. like two ships passing through the night you know they don't make any contact <laughs> with anybody so right. you know that yeah. and then if if you're a good screening team you're going to be a great rebounding team too so right yeah or they don't realize that when you screen you actually help get yourself open also right it's a, absolutely oh, I don't want to get that guy open he's going to get all the points <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, that's why I love it when I have a football, a really big, strong lineman football player that wants to play basketball but doesn't want to be the scorer. He just says, "Hey, I'm going to set screens. I'm, I'm going to. Yeah. I'll go out there and I'll just be a headhunter, just you know, setting good, solid, legal screens, but you know, get your get the shooters open. So that's always a fun right. thing, for sure. Awesome. Well, Coach, I think that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Thank you for all you do, Derek. It's a, it's a great thing, these podcasts you're doing. And, you know, we just have to, to tell uh, all the young coaches to go out and listen to these things because, man, I wish I would have had these podcasts to listen to when I was first starting coaching because it, uh, it sure would make me a, a better coach faster. So thanks for all you do. Thank you, Coach. If you have any follow-up questions or want to get a hold of Coach Morse, you can find his contact information in the episode description. We hope you'll join us next time here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Until then, coach them up. Thank you for listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. 
Is there a coach you'd like to hear from or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss? You can write us a message on the Anchor website or send us an email at OregonBasketballCoaches at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify.